The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I am delighted to welcome one of my favorite guests back, my fellow dietitian friend, Brenda Davis. She is a leader in her field of vegetarian nutrition and health. She has worked as a public health nutritionist, clinical nutrition specialist, nutrition consultant, and academic nutrition instructor. She is the lead dietitian in a diabetes research project in Majuro, Marshall Islands. She is a featured speaker at nutrition, medical, and health conferences throughout the world. She is also a co-author of nine award-winning best-selling books that focus on Becoming Vegetarian, Becoming Vegan, The Raw Food Revolution Diet, and Defeating Diabetes. Her latest book is on my desk right now with me. It's titled The Kick Diabetes Cookbook. It comes at a perfect time as our nation is really struggling with prediabetes and diabetes diagnoses. Brenda is the perfect person to address this topic. She also is a past chair of the Vegetarian Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group of the American Dietetic Association, and in 2007, she was inducted into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame. Welcome, Brenda. It's so good to have you with me. Oh, thank you so much, Melinda. And just to update you, the Kick Diabetes Cookbook was my 10th book. Wow. And I'm just about finished the 11th, which is a sort of a sequel to the Kick Diabetes Cookbook. And it's a Kick Diabetes, it's a guidebook, which is a lot more information, uh, fewer recipes, but a little bit more into the details of reversal of diabetes. Well, why don't we, in our conversation, touch on information from both? Because I think our listeners will want to know about mechanisms I specifically was attracted to this book because of what you have also witnessed, which is the seemingly the disdain for carbohydrates and the idea that there are so many of these books now that are coming out basically saying that carbohydrates are our problem and there's the paleo diet, there are the keto diets. And it's true that probably there is no one diet that is going to fit everyone's needs based on their genetic makeup. But you have looked at carbohydrates in a way that I think is extremely important in that you say carbohydrates aren't the problem. The problem is refined carbohydrates. What is the difference? So basically, 90% probably of the carbohydrates that the average North American eating the SAD diet or the standard American diet, most of the carbohydrates they eat are refined, and therein lies the problem. So all of the the keto, paleo, and all of the low-carb proponents are right about certain carbohydrates being bad. The mistake they make is lumping all carbohydrates into the same category. Carbohydrates are not the problem per se. It's refined carbohydrates. And if you look around the world, 
some of the healthiest populations, the healthiest long-lived populations with the highest number of centenarians eat between, well, they average 62% of calories from carbohydrates. The Okinawans averaged over 80% of calories from carbohydrates. And so the point being that if, in fact, the longest-lived, healthiest people in the world eat predominantly high-carbohydrate diets, they're probably not what's responsible for our disease epidemic. However, just think about this. If you take the carbohydrate from the whole food and you remove everything of value to human health and then you add a bunch of crap to it, you add the sugar and the fat and the salt and the colors and the preservatives and everything else, and then you eat the carbohydrates, you're in trouble. Right. And that's what's happening. And so I want people to think about this because this is really, really important. What we know is the more whole plant foods you eat, the more vegetables, the more fruits, the more legumes, the more intact whole grains, the more of these foods you eat, the healthier you are, the lower your risk of disease. And what people need to understand is all of these foods provide somewhere between about 60 and 90% of calories from carbohydrates. This is where the antioxidants are concentrated. This is where the phytochemicals are concentrated. This is where the plant sterols and stanols and the fiber and all of those things that we know to be protective to health, that's where they're concentrated. Going low carb means going low plant. Yes. Because all plant foods are high carbohydrate foods with the single exception of nuts and seeds, which are on average about 12% carbohydrate. Yeah. You know, the average keto diet is 5% carbohydrate. Wow. So you do the math. Right. They don't have room for a lot of this stuff in their program. And so what are they living on? They're living on stuff that's low in phytochemicals and antioxidants and fiber and all of the things we know to be protective. People need to really think about that. Right. And it makes no sense to think that a diet that minimizes all of these components that we know to be protective is going to be protective long term. Sure, it may help with weight loss. Well, so does smoking. Yeah. doesn't mean it's good for us. Right. Exactly. Well, I want to emphasize something that you have in this book, because I think it is probably the most important statement in here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But when you talk about fiber, you say, to reverse diabetes, aim to get at least 45 to 60 grams of fiber per day, depending on your body size, where larger individuals will benefit for aiming for at least 60 grams per day. And this translates to a minimum of 15 to 20 grams per meal. I feel like I need to emphasize this because 45 to 60 grams of fiber per day is so much more than the average American gets. I think I read that on average, we consume about 17 grams of fiber per day. Yeah, it's a good triple for sure. Yeah, exactly. And how do we help people meet that amount? Well, it's so interesting. If you look at people who eat plant-based diets, that's pretty typical of what they get because everything they eat, if it's whole food, has fiber. Fiber is just, it's really the structural material for plants. So it's what gives them their shape and structure, just like animals have bones, plants have fiber. And so when you eat a lot of plants, you eat a lot of fiber. 
And so you don't want to remove the fiber from the plants before eating the plants, like what most people do, eating their white flour products and so forth. Mm -hmm. So if you eat a breakfast, for example, let me just tell you what I eat. Good. And I'm probably upwards of 60 or 70 at least grams a day, and I'm not a very big person. So for breakfast, one of the things that I do is I stick to intact whole grains. And I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, the whole grain hierarchy. But what I would have for breakfast is maybe some cooked kamut berries or sprouted kamut berries or some other intact whole grain. And I actually cook a few lentils into that to give me extra iron and zinc and protein and so forth. And then I make a breakfast bowl out of it using all sorts of fun things. And I always put a fair bit of high-fiber seeds on top, chia seeds and flax seeds. And so my breakfast will easily give me 15 to 20 grams of fiber. Well, I usually also include blueberries and other fruits as well, so I'm probably over the 20 grams. So it's not that hard to do. I know a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll use processed foods. So they'll use a high-fiber brand cereal or something like that. And I personally don't think that's the best option. I think the best option is getting your fiber from whole foods because then you get all of the other things that come with the whole foods, all of those antioxidants and phytochemicals. And then at lunchtime, if you can include some sort of a legume, whether that be a lentil soup or a pea soup or some sort of hummus in your wrap, lots of veggies, and again, seeds and those kinds of higher fiber foods include a fruit for dessert, it's pretty easy to get there. So legumes are really valuable where fiber is concerned because in one serving of legumes, you're getting enough. When I say one serving, I should really say a cup because a half a cup is often considered a serving. But most beans and lentils will provide at least 15 to 20 grams of fiber in a cup. Yeah. So that's a huge, huge amount. And then the other food that is a bit of a shock where fiber is concerned is avocados, which have about 13 grams of fiber in a fruit. Yes. Uh, And grains, if you eat grains, you're looking at probably 5 to 10 grams of fiber, and berries can be upwards of 8 grams in a cup. So when you're eating these kinds of foods, the numbers add up. And most fruits and vegetables are somewhere 2 to 5 grams per serving. Well, you want at least 10 servings in a day. So that adds up quickly as well. Right. And you've got a great chart in this book that shows the different foods with all the different fibers. And I have to say, like you, we've been practicing dietetics for over three decades. And when I saw the amount of fiber in an avocado, I said to myself, how did I miss that? 13 grams of fiber in a medium (laughs) avocado. It's not one of those fibrous foods like celery or something like that, where you think, oh, there's lots of fiber there. It's so smooth and creamy, and it's more of the soluble fiber there. And And at first, I thought maybe they analyzed it with the skin. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I agree with you. Quite a shocker. I was amazed. Well, in terms of the mechanism by which fiber works to reverse diabetes, does it matter if it's soluble or insoluble fiber? And what is going on? Why is fiber so protective? I, uh, for years, thought it needed to be soluble viscous fiber. But looking at the research when I was writing the two books on diabetes, what's really interesting is the insoluble, non-viscous, sort of non-sticky fiber, mainly from cereal grains. 
is actually more strongly linked to a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes than soluble fiber. Mm. However, soluble or viscous or sticky fiber actually is the type of fiber that slows the emptying of the stomach or the GI tract and improves your postprandial or your after-meal blood sugars. And so what it does is it just slows the absorption of foods. It helps foods to go through the gastrointestinal system at a good rate. And it also, one of the most important things it does is it promotes the growth of a friendly microbiota, which is extremely important for keeping your gut healthy and your inflammation levels down. And so there are a number of mechanisms that are involved in fibers, protective effects. But what that means really in a nutshell is we want fiber throughout our life cycle coming from a variety of whole foods. You don't want to just be sprinkling bran on your food because that's mainly insoluble fiber. And it does certain things and it doesn't do other things. And also the concentrated wheat bran tends to impair the absorption of some really important trace minerals. And so when we get our fiber from a more of a, a variety of the whole spectrum of whole plant foods, there are just so many types of fiber. People don't realize they think fiber is fiber is fiber, but there are many, many different types and they provide different kinds of benefits. And so we want the whole range. Right. Absolutely. Brenda, we've got to take one break because we're halfway through our interview. I just want to remind our listeners that if you're just tuning in. You're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. My guest is Ms. Brenda Davis. She is a fellow registered dietitian. Her expertise is in vegetarian foods. And her most recent book, The Kick Diabetes Cookbook, is an action plan and recipes for defeating diabetes. And that's what we're going through right now. And I would be remiss if I did not jump into the whole grain hierarchy, because I think this is a good segue. When we talk about fiber, you know what it's like. You go into the grocery store and you see whole wheat bread, and that's great. Or we see whole grain cereals. And then I like to look at the nutrition facts panel to see just how much fiber I'm getting. And it turns out that, as you mentioned, it's not nearly as much as we would get if we were eating the whole cooked grain itself. Right. And so, Melinda, what happened with me is I kept seeing people who were transitioning to a more plant-based diet not having the results that they wanted to have. And they said, but all I eat is whole grains. And when I started to dig deeper, they were eating a lot of whole grain flour products. And so I decided to create this thing that I call the whole grain hierarchy to help people understand that all whole grains are not created equal, even after you've gotten rid of the refined white flour products and all you eat is products that are made from whole grains, there's a huge variation in how they're going to impact your health. And so at the top of the hierarchy, we have intact whole grains. You could sprout them, you could cook them. And I'm talking about things like barley and quinoa and kamut berries and spelt berries and these truly oat growths, those kinds of things. They are literally the grains as they're picked off the plant. There's nothing harmful added. There's nothing healthful taken away. 
And so that's the very top of the hierarchy. And if that was all you ate in terms of whole grain, that would give you the maximum benefit in terms of reducing your risk of diabetes and reversing diabetes. Next on the hierarchy would be the cut whole grains. And here we're talking about all we've done is take that grain and just cut it like steel cut oats or bulgur. Mm-hmm. And then the next on the list would be the rolled whole grains like rolled oats, rolled barley, and then the shredded, and then the ground whole grains like whole wheat flour products, then the flaked whole grains like the cold flaked cereals, and then the puffed whole grains like puffed wheat or puffed brown rice. These would all still be whole grains, but what happens as you go down the hierarchy is you're actually increasing the surface area of the grain and increasing the rate of absorption of that grain. And so the glycemic index, as you go down the list, tends to get higher and higher and higher. And the other thing that happens as you go down the hierarchy is you're destroying nutrients. So you're exposing more of the grain to heat, light, oxygen, and so you start to lose nutritional value. When you puff the whole grain, you expose it to tremendous pressure and you further enhance the loss of nutrients by doing that. So what you want really is you want to stay as high on the hierarchy as you can, preferably if you really want to see results with just intact whole grains, maybe a few cut whole grains like steel cut oats and at times some rolled oats and then nothing below that. That would be really ideal. Wow. This is fascinating to me because, of course, I'm looking at these recommendations and I'm thinking about what most people are exposed to if they, say, go out to eat or if they are in a school food program or if they're in an institution or if they're staying at a hotel or a motel overnight. And you think about the kinds of foods that are available to most people or even going into communities that don't have a good, healthy food section it's very difficult to find these foods. Yeah, and that is one of the challenges for sure. And so then people have to do the best they can. You can get rolled oats almost anywhere. Yeah. You can even get steel cut oats almost anywhere now. Yeah. You can get things like brown rice and quinoa and barley. Yes. Uh, Those things are pretty available. People just don't know what to do with them. Exactly. And that really was the purpose of the Kick Diabetes Cookbook because we want to teach people, you know, one of the best things you can do, this is one thing that I always do, is I batch cook. So when I make a batch of some sort of intact whole grain, I make a a fairly large amount. And when I make beans, I make a fairly large amount. And I always have the beans or lentils and grains in my fridge. And so to make a breakfast bowl, it's just so instant. I put in my fruit and my unsweetened non-dairy yogurt or cashew pear cream or something like that and my grains and if I put in a few lentils or something and it's done, you can do a a beautiful bowl, a dinner bowl with some sort of intact grain on the bottom, a bunch of steamed vegetables, and you can pick whatever you like, but you want to make sure there's lots of leafy greens in there, and then some sort of protein, which could be tofu or tempeh or chickpeas or kidney beans or whatever kind of bean you like, and then some sort of sauce on top. And I love a tahini lemon sauce Mm -hmm. or a peanut sauce and a few sprouts on top, and you've got just about a perfect meal. 
Absolutely. Well, let's talk to about nuts and seeds, because I think that for a while, nuts in particular had a bad reputation because, oh my gosh, they were high in fat, so people were avoiding them. They were not eating nuts for a snack, and instead they were using something like a puffed oat cake or something that was seen as healthier because we were so focused on fat. But for kicking diabetes, you have a target of having two to three servings a day of nuts and seeds. What is the mechanism there? Well, nuts and seeds, there are a variety of mechanisms. But first of all, I want to say that the studies looking at intake of nuts and seeds are consistently favorable. So what we see over and over again is people who regularly incorporate nuts and seeds into their diet have a lower risk of diabetes. And one of the things, so there are several things going on. One of the things is of all plant foods, nuts and seeds have the lowest glycemic index, even lower than beans and lentils. So they have a very small impact on blood sugar. I think peanuts have have a glycemic index of like seven or something. It's very, very low. The glycemic load is one or zero, sometimes you'll see. So it's very, very low. So they are really helpful when you're eating, you know, a fair number of carbohydrates to modulate that. And then the fat in them will further help to delay gastric emptying. So it's helpful in that way too. But the other point about nuts and seeds is they provide fiber, but they're very good sources of many of the trace minerals that people sometimes can have a difficult time getting enough of. Selenium and boron and Mm. magnesium and all of these kinds of nutrients. And they can be, it's interesting. And one of the things that I find very interesting about nuts and seeds is that the concentration of these different nutrients is different in every nut and seed. So having a variety of them can be really powerful. And then there are certain nuts and seeds that are very high in essential fatty acids and vitamin E. So the highest in vitamin E would be sunflower seeds and almonds, and the highest in omega-3 fatty acids would be the the flax seeds and the chia seeds, hemp seeds, and walnuts. And so when you're eating a plant-based diet, your intake of those components is sometimes a little on the low side. And so it really helps to boost your intake of these really critical nutrients. And it's interesting, you know, people with diabetes tend to have quite an unfavorable antioxidant status, and Mm. they tend to have more inflammation as well. And these things can really help with that because they are good natural providers of those anti-inflammatory and antioxidant compounds. So they can be really helpful there. And then one of the other things to know about people with diabetes is often they tend not to convert the plant omega-3s very well to long-chain omega-3s, which are EPA and DHA, the fats that we find in fish. And so a lot of people think, well, we must have fish then. But in fact, what people need to know is that fish don't actually even make EPA and DHA. They get it at some point along the food chain from plants in the ocean, which are the producers of EPA and DHA. And now we actually culture those plants And you can buy plant-based EPA and DHA without any of the potential for contaminants. 
just as a supplement. So even people who are completely vegan or completely plant-based can get those long-chain omega-3 fatty acids without having to consume fish if they choose not to. We only have a few minutes left, and so I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners some of the key nuggets that you've picked up in your career, in addition to what we've spoken about, about what we can do to reduce our risk for diabetes. We know the medications are very expensive. This is a lifestyle disease. What else do you tell your patients? Well, number one, stop drinking sugar. You know, just don't ever drink sugar. First of all, don't drink a lot of calories. Eat your calories, drink water. So that's number one. Number two is is get active. You know, diabetes is a disease of overconsumption and underactivity. So you need to be more physically active. And then we just have to stop overeating. And we do that. We, Our culture is an obesogenic culture. We Eating too much is part of what we do on a daily basis. And so we've got to figure out ways of eating less. And, I, you know, one of the beauties of a plant-based diet is you can actually eat more, a greater volume of food and get less calories, which is really a, a wonderful thing. But it's very, very important that people are focusing on real whole foods and not processed foods. So these ultra-processed, ultra-palatable foods, they mess with our appetite control center and make it really difficult to stop eating even when we're full. And so we need to get those foods out of our diet and start to live on vegetables, fruits, uh, legumes, whole grains, and some nuts and seeds. And that's really key. And even if any of our listeners are are thinking, well, I don't want to give up meat, I think that what your books provide is a way to incorporate more plant-based whole foods into the diet. You might not be 100% vegan, but at least you've got some tips and tools and recipes to move us in more of a plant-friendly direction. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Because the reality is, for many people, the most important thing is to be a part of your, your tribe and your social group. Right. And for them, they'd almost sooner be dead than have to give up eating what the rest of the people around them eat. And so there has to be some compromise. And so if you're going to compromise, you incorporating a little bit of of fish that's not fried or a little bit of animal products in the diet, you can still achieve tremendous results without having to completely give up those foods. And I tend to see the greatest results in people that, you know, sort of the more you change, the greater your results. So the more you can go in that plant-based direction, the better the results we tend to see. But just because you're not going 100% doesn't mean you shouldn't be moving in this direction. Well, we'll have to leave it at that because our time is up. But I want to thank you so much for helping us understand why whole foods are so important and for teasing out the carbohydrates that are really beneficial to us. And just to let our listeners know that your book not only has charts and lists of where the fiber comes from, but you also give some really good advice about A, rethinking carbohydrates, which we did, but also foregoing artificial sweeteners and the importance of supporting a healthy gut microbiome. And that is where fiber also comes in. So again, 
to close, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And I especially want to thank my guest, fellow dietitian, Ms. Brenda Davis. She is the author of numerous books. The one we've been talking about today is titled The Kick Diabetes Cookbook, an action plan for recipes for defeating diabetes. And we spoke about your wonderful grain hierarchy. I'll provide our listeners with a link to your website, Brenda. Thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, thank you so much, Melinda. It's always such a privilege to speak with you. 